Good morning. Uh, as we can, we're in John right now, and um, I wanted to just kind of begin with kind of a good recap of what's happening. And I think it's really helpful for those of us who are uh, just kind of beginning with one of these biographies. John has been writing this in an attempt to call us to remember Jesus, to, as he encountered Jesus and enjoyed seeing a different perspective about Jesus hadn't been written before. And he's written about these disciples now who have been following Jesus, this one who was God who came to earth, and he's watched them follow through various scenarios, different miracles, incredible events, until Jesus was crucified, and then now they've seen him twice uh, resurrected from the dead. They're excited about um, who he is, and then he says he sends them. Now, I want you to imagine them. They've, they've gathered together a clump of them, about seven of them. They've, they've gone on their journey. Jesus had instructed them, we know from other, other biographies, the other gospels, that, hey, you need to uh, meet me in, out in Galilee. And so they gather together, and you can imagine as they're walking out of, the, out of the city of Jerusalem, and they're looking back over their shoulders as they climb up over, and maybe they see the spot where Jesus had been crucified. They're looking at the temple gleaming on the mount. As they start climbing down, the dust is coming off. Their shoes as they're headed down towards Jericho, towards the Jordan River. And as they come to the Jordan River, they're, they're remembering when they saw Jesus baptized and John the Baptist and all these events. They're talking about the miracles. They're talking about what has just occurred that Jesus is alive, that he's not dead. They're inspired. They're excited. And another day goes by. And another day goes by. It's about a four day journey or more as you get up to, um, as they climb up the Jordan River across to the Sea of Galilee. And as they come upon the Sea of Galilee, it's springtime. The flowers are in bloom. The grasses are covering the hills. The smells, as you all remember, it's spring. As everything just explodes. And they take a deep breath, taking in their hometown smell. Bethsaida is right in front of them as they start walking along that shore and coming up on it. They see the old boats that, that Peter's parents own. They see the, the town itself spread out where so many miracles and ministry has been done. They hear the lapping of the water as it hits the shore, and they, they're just staring at the situation. And yet they've had plenty of time to talk. Plenty of time to discuss what Jesus has told them, what he's instructed them to do, where he's told them to go. And, and they realize as they pass Roman soldiers, as they see all these Jewish people, as they approach the town that in some ways had rejected them earlier, and they're staring at it. And I believe they're wondering, you know, is this going to work? Is this going to happen? I mean, we, we've just seen the Messiah. He's alive. He's well. He's done miracles. He has told us that he's the answer to human evil, that he, you can have a life in him that is greater than any life ever known. We've got the answer, and he's told us to share it. Are they going to listen this time? Are, they, are we going to be able to take this and it actually spread like we hope it will, or is this going to close down? Is this going to get shut down? I mean, what if it doesn't work? What if it dies with us? I mean, have we felt that sense before? I don't know if you guys have ever felt that sense. As you've gone to your different family um, gatherings, maybe you've gone, sat down at a table and started talking and it turned to politics or it turned to religion or it turned to something and, and you felt like, I can't, I can't enter into this conversation because every time you have in the past, you get shut down. Or maybe it's been conversations at your workplace, you're befriending your neighbors, you're, you're loving on your neighborhood, you're trying, and when they're asking you what you're doing on Sunday morning, you, you tell them and it seems to have ended the relationship. And you begin to wonder as you look at the the United States and you see the fact that the church is shrinking overall. It's growing everywhere else, but in the U.S. it's shrinking. It's struggling. It's in its fight. And, we, and I begin to wonder, are we going to make it? 
Or, or, or are we going to realize that we were the generation that didn't pass it on? Are we the generation that didn't see our children really come to know the Lord, didn't see their friends come to know the Lord? In fact, maybe they, they're all excited about Jesus only to walk away a few years later for their various reasons, for their internet excuses or whatever they've come to. And it, it frightens us, it causes us worry. Is, is this going to die with us? I mean, what should we do with all the immensity of this intensity, with all the craziness that's going on? What should we do? Why don't we go fishing? I think this is a great idea. Let's go fishing. Let's just all go out to a lake and go, because that's exactly what Peter's going to say. And with all this question, all this excitement about Jesus being resurrected in John chapter 21, that's exactly where it's going to start. It's going to start with, let's go fishing. Let's take a look at this. And as you pick up the, the Bible in John chapter 1, it's, um, again, John has written this. He's testifying what Jesus has done and what he has seen him do. And so John is writing this biography out. He wants to reveal and tell what he's seen. And so it starts, Jesus already appeared twice to them in a locked room. And now it goes on to, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, that is the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. And so verse 2 continues. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. So seven disciples in all gathered together. They're coming in here. All of them are kind of hometown boys as far as we can tell. Cana is not that far away. It's up in the hills. We know that Peter and the sons of Zebedee all lived on the actual lake. And so these guys are all pretty much in home. They're, they're in their home territory. Excited to be there. They're looking at each other. They've crawled in after a three to four day journey, maybe longer. And they've come upon the lake and the night's beginning to fall. And they're looking at each other. And I wonder, why don't they just say, hey, you know, let's go to your house, Peter. We'll take a rest. We'll say hi to your family. It'll be a great reunion. But instead, what we get is this. Simon Peter said to them, verse three, I'm going fishing. That's how simple it is. Let's go fishing. And they said, okay, we'll go with you. So they went out onto the boat, but that night they caught nothing. I'm, and I'm confused. You had this great conversation. You've had this long journey. You come into town and you go, let's fish. He's, I mean, he's, this guy's a fisherman at heart then. He sees the boat. He sees the night. He sees the sun going down. He probably just got like the, the jitters. Like, oh, this is going to be a good night. Let's go fishing. This is going to be great. We'll grab one of the boats. We'll head on out. This will be perfect. And they're like, yeah, sure. You know, maybe John, the, Zeb, the brothers of Zebedee, they're thinking, yeah, we'll, we'll do this. The, the sons of Zebedee, they go on out. They get in. They sail out. And so they, they get out there in verse 4. They fished all night long, just as day was breaking. So they have gone out. Can you imagine if you're Nathaniel, not the fisherman of the group, sitting there just watching these guys as they're throwing their castings out over the side all night long. So much so that Peter is, is, getting, is just working up a sweat. I mean, he's tossing over these, these things, and they're falling, they're sinking down. Pull it up, nothing. Pull it up, nothing. Nathaniel's sitting there going, I'm hungry. And we skipped dinner so you could go fishing. And there's nothing here. What is going on here? Eventually, Nathaniel probably looks off in the distance or something because it says that suddenly, as just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. So here's the picture. 
they've been waiting around for Jesus. They know Jesus said, I'll see you in Galilee. So they don't, they don't think, hey, let's go to a locked room. He seems to like to show up when we do that. Instead, they get out on a boat and they're sitting out there and they see some guys show about 100 yards off in the distance, kind of walking around, tooling on the edge of the, on the, edge of the shore. And you can imagine this in your head. It's, it's kind of dusk. It's daybreak. It's not really clear. So you can't see who he is really. But he, he walks over there. He's doing something. Suddenly a fire lights up. And you're like, what's, what's this guy up to? And then he turns, he says, Children, catch any fish? You want to answer him? You want me to answer him? <laughs> no. Hey, cast it on the right side. There's plenty of fish over there. Cast it on the right side. What do you mean to cast it on the right side? Maybe he sees something. I don't say. Okay, let's just try it. They throw it in on the right side of the boat and, and sinks down. And suddenly, as they're pulling it up, they, can, they are not able to haul it in, it says in verse 6, because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, hey, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. Now that's a sentence we don't share in children's ministry. <laughs> what is Peter working naked for on the boat? Literally, he's stripped for work. That's what it says. He's got his outer garment on. Whether he's got an undergarment on or not, it doesn't indicate that necessarily. But he is probably sweating so bad, working so hard, he's like, forget this. I'm going to come around and really catch some fish now. All day, all night long, working hard. Sees Jesus, he's like, oh, get that on. And dives into the water. Which is the opposite of what you do. You wouldn't put something on to go dive in the water. You take something off to go diving in the water. But he's like, I got to look right. And boom, jumps in, swims 100 yards all the way back out to meet Jesus. The other disciples came in the boat because they were smart, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, but only about 100 yards off. What's going on in this scene? I mean, here they are. They pull into town. And they just go, let's go fishing. And yet these guys are skilled fishermen. They know where to fish. They know this lake. They've got all the tools. They probably weren't the only ones out that night, actually. They're throwing their nets in. They're making sure everybody's had three pro fishermen on this boat, and they get skunked, which is odd, because the fish can't see the nets at night. And these nets go all the way to the ground. There should be something around there. And yet, this scene is going to reveal a few things that I want us to ponder as you and I look at a, at a landscape across the United States and our homes of people that we long for them to know the life that Jesus has given, a life of peace, a life of hope, a life in which the afterlife is not a fear for us, that death does not become a danger, but it becomes something that unleashes us into joy and perfection and, and the presence of God, a life in which we can care and give ourselves away, that kind of a life. We want to give that to other people. We want to see them live that kind of life, a life of hope and joy. Oh, man, how cool is that? No, they won't hear it. They don't want it. And so what do we do when we roll into town? We go fishing. We get distracted. And what you'll find is then you don't find what you need. You don't find the provision we've been looking for when it comes to the mission of God. And one of the lessons that I want to point out is that, following, that to follow Jesus' instructions and he'll provide. It's, it's a simple statement. What I want you to see, though, is that G here, they're out there fishing all night without Jesus. And when Jesus shows up, they give them one simple instruction. They do it and they pull everything in. What is this a picture of? What is going on in here except that it's the word of Jesus that changes everything. 
Some of us in this room, you, 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 we're trying hard to live life. You are going to work. You are pushing it on both ends. You are making every bit of effort you can to provide just to pay for the bills, just to get some food on the table, to make sure Netflix keeps going. You're working hard to ensure that your children have a good education, that you, you, maybe it's you and your wife and you and your husband that are working hard to, to keep that house up, to make sure that car is running, and you are burning every ounce of what you've got, and you're exhausted. And what's worse is it's starting to not work. The bank account's getting lower. You're having to start cutting things away. Maybe it's that effort at work isn't cutting it anymore. That, that, that smile, that one statement, that way with your boss that you have isn't working anymore. Or maybe it's in your marriage that you've always been able to provide this kind of comfort and it's not happening. This kind of um, love and it just doesn't seem to be working. There's tension, there's fighting, and it's just messing up. Maybe the provision that you've always gotten used to being there is drying up. Because some of us have gone away from the mission and we've just gone fishing. That's a horrible rhyme, and I did not mean to do that. <laughs> but we have. We've avoided this mission God has called us to, and we've decided we're going to be distracted on something else. And we got a, we got a whole world of distractions right in our pocket. Got a whole world of distractions right in our homes. Every form of entertainment, every form of food that you could eat because you can get it on HGTV. Any kind of project you want to do to make your house beautiful for cheap ends. I mean, everything that we can think of is available to us for the first time as human beings. And now we're distracted. And we're curious, why is the mission field getting more difficult? The provision's drying up. Why? What's going on? And it's so simple. When, Jesus, when we follow Jesus' instructions, suddenly there was this provision. Maybe God's pulling away our provisions. Maybe God's causing what's always worked for us in the past not to work because he's trying to get our attention. Maybe he's trying to get your attention because, hey, things aren't working like they used to. He's saying, maybe it's because I'm not with you in your life. Maybe it's because you're doing it just to do it. It's flippant. It's just something to do. Let's go fishing. And so I want to challenge that maybe what God's calling us to is to re-examine that he has something for our lives. He has a mission. He has a direction. He has something for us to be about. He has something for us to be living towards, not just going to work, not just doing these things, because we could do all this work and all this stuff, and in the end, you could be completely dissatisfied and completely miserable. Just look at the rich Look at the famous. Look at these people who, in the end, when they're interviewed, say, I don't get it. I've got it all, and I got no friends. Because everybody I know wants my money. Everybody I, want, I know wants the limelight. Everybody I know, who's truly with me? And so we can try and try all we want, but we're not provided for the right things. And he wanted us to see that without him, there is nothing. But he says, with him, Peter would later write, God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness, the afterlife. Everything that we need is already given to us in Jesus Christ. He's given that as, an, as, an, as something to enjoy and for us to go give away. And so he gives us these instructions. He gives us a way that, to go forward so we can live it out. But what is this mission exactly? Again, it's very simple. John 3.16, God loved the world, so he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
So God's up to keeping people from perishing. He wants nobody to perish. The scriptures overwhelmingly say he does not delight in the death of the wicked. He delights in the death of no one. God wants no one to be punished, no one to go through suffering. He longs for all of us to find the way out and he provides the way out. He sent his son to provide that way so that we would not perish, but have eternal life, a life full of joy, a life full of peace, a life full of hope, a life full of love. And he give that love away. So all this spreads in. He says, in fact, God didn't send his son to condemn the world, not to go around judging it. He sent, the world, he sent him in order that the world might be saved through him. And so on the cross, Jesus Christ bore the human evils, the small ones and the big ones. Every little lie, every time we've yelled and screamed at our spouse or our kids and later we realized, oh, that was not appropriate. Oh, that was totally selfish. Every single lustful look, every single drink that was over, the, over and horribly over the limit, every drug, everything that we've done in rejection of what God has said, in rejection and in harm of the people we love, those evils Jesus willingly swallowed into himself. Willingly bore on the cross because he wants to save us from the punishment that's attached to those things. And we know that punishment's coming. We know that guilt. We know that weight that carries around, that keeps us sucked down, makes us feel miserable. And he says, no, I came not to judge you, not to make you go, you horrible person. No, he came to show his kindness and his patience and set us free. And what's interesting is that he left, and he left us, as he said in John 20, 21, to do it for him. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And so you and I have a mission. You and I have something to do. We're not just waiting around for Jesus to get back. We're not just waiting around to just enjoy life and be distracted by fishing or fishing on the wrong side of the boat or Instagram or Netflix or you name it. No, this isn't a life of distraction. This is supposed to be a life of a mission. It's supposed to be a life of intention. It's supposed to be a life aimed at something, aimed at doing what Jesus was doing, of seeing this world saved, of seeing this world not perish in the afterlife, but flourish in the afterlife in the relationship with God. That's what he left us here to do. That's the central focus that we get to have. So how do we do that? What's the instruction so we can see his provision in that? It's very simple. He says, look, first of all, it's about being attached to God, being associated with Jesus. I'm the true vine, he says. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, meaning connected to Jesus, having a relationship with God, having this deep connection, hey, every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. He's going to clean it up. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why? That it may bear more fruit. God desires this for us to bear fruit. Fruit is either the character of God in your life, that love, that joy, that peace, that patience, or it's seeing other people have that love and joy and peace and patience in Jesus. That's the fruit God wants from us. He says, there's the result. I want you to be successful. I want you to see, I want you to be able to go on this mission and do what I've called you to do. He's not calling you to a mission you're going to fail at. He's not calling us to a field that is, not, that is impossible. Our children, our children's children, our friends, their children, our neighbors, all of them are an open field that God wants us to succeed in. And so he gives us his spirit. He goes on. The father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So what do we do? We start with loving people. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept the father's commandments and abide in his love. What was, what was the commandment of Jesus? It's very simple. Love one another as I have loved you. Do you need any more? 
I, uh, can I get 10 more, please? I, I, want, I want some more commands. No, he made it simple. You love one another. Get out there and love each other. In fact, he said, this is how they'll, you'll, they'll know you're my disciples if you love each other. Get out there and love one another as I have loved you. Love that neighbor as I have loved you. Love that family member who yells at you as I loved you, as I loved the Pharisees. Get out there and care for that coworker like I loved you as I loved those who were down in the ditch. Love like Christ loved. He says, that's how you do this. That's how you save this world, by loving in such a manner that you actually don't just flippantly like, hey, come here, I love you, old man, you're awesome, go do what you're going to do. No, that's not love. In fact, Jesus defines love. He says, greater love has no one one than this. There's no greater definition than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. The life and the mission he's called you to is a life of self-sacrifice. That's why it doesn't work when they go, let's go fishing. Let's go be distracted. Let's go do something else. He says, no, you're not going to have any kind of provision there. There's not going to be any kind of powerful support that's going to bring about anything for the mission that God is, this intention that God has for our lives. It's going to be dried up. It's going to be empty without meaning. And eventually it's going to vanish because we got to do it by his way. Don't get distracted. He says, go, go into that world. Get out there. Be a part of this world. Yes, be vocational, but you're going on the mission to love others as I have loved you. Why do you go to work to love others as Christ has loved you? Why teach children if you're a teacher? Because God has taught you and you love those children. Why should you invest yourself in the service industry? Because Christ served and he has loved you. Now you can love others. Why should you tell the truth in your business arrangements? Because God has told you the truth and in this way you can love others. Why in the world should you invest yourself in, in, any, other, in any business that we're in, in any branch of any wor- part of the world? Because God has loved us and we're to love others as Christ has loved you. And that love is a self-sacrificial love. That means you give yourself away unto death. That's a scary thought, unless Jesus has risen from the dead. Unless we get away from the illusion that we can gather our distractions around us and build up our world of video games and, and Instagrams and pocket, and pocket fun things and all this stuff and go, you know what, I got all this stuff. I'm so busy with my things. He says, but to find provision, it's over here. It's in the walking in the mission that he sent us to love as he has loved. Now, what's powerful about this is when we do this, you'll begin to see things happening. You'll begin to see transformations in people's hearts and people's lives in your life. And you'll start to go, God, you're doing awesome things. And yet what's beautiful is the success in this mission is done through us, but it's done by God. And you say like, where are you getting that from? Keep going in the text. Verse nine. When they got onto the land, they just caught this giant thing of fish. They saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. I don't know about you, but I'd be really frustrated as a disciple. Walking up going, I caught all this fish, yes! Oh, you already got some fish and some bread. Oh yeah, you can make that out of thin air. I forgot about that. He's looking at this charcoal fire. It's this, this is lunch, breakfast is already prepared. And yet Jesus says in verse 10, bring me some of the fish that you have just caught. Yeah, yeah, they just caught it. But here's what's weird. So Simon Peter went aboard. He hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. There are lots of people who want to go off on 153 and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, no, no, you understand. 153 large fish of St. Peter's fish, like a tilapia, in that sea. That was a big fish. 
I caught 153 in a small net, a casting net. A casting net is round and you just throw it out and it spreads out. It falls down on top of the fish. Then they pull it in. And this is so many fish. This little net should have torn as they're dragging it onto the shore, as they're pulling it up on board. This, this net is not strong enough with 153 big fish writhing to get away. Not only that, you shouldn't catch 153 fish with a cast. Because when it hits the water, the fish scatter. Just like a whole school of fish sitting there going like, hey, look, it's a net. Who's a net? I don't know. I can't move. Can you move? I can't move. God must be doing something. And this net just covers them and boom. And so they're like, oh, we want out of the net. And he pulls it up and the net isn't torn. Why? Because it's not just their efforts that did this. It's God's miraculous power working to provide for them. And so God's miraculous power is working. And yet he says, you caught the fish. I want you to hear something. When we're out and we're talking to people about Christ, when we're out loving people and things begin to move, when we're out there trying to share love and hope and peace and joy, and we're doing it in self-sacrificial ways, yes, people will be changed, but it's, you're going like, but it's not me. That's right. It's God. And yet it is you. You work with God in this. God wants to work with you. In fact, he says, go get the fish you just caught. So they went and did this. And he says, now come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples asked him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Didn't have any questions. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. And this was the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And so he's saying, guys, I have something for you to do. Follow my instructions and you will begin to see success. Any Lego lovers in the room? Anybody like Lego movies or Legos themselves? Or, okay, a bunch of us. My house has so many Legos and surprise me that when I shake my clothes, Legos don't fall out of them. And, but here's the thing. I grew up, I loved Legos. And my, my kids have Legos everywhere. They got millions of Legos. And none of them are put together except for the inventions my, my oldest son makes. In my life, that's not how you did Legos. When you got a Lego set, you took out the Legos, you opened the instruction book, you built the thing, and you played with the thing. If it broke, you got the instruction book back out, and I put it back together, and I put it up on my shelf like I was Mr. Rogers, putting away his little creations. Like, ha, ha, ha. That's how I kept all my Legos, built together, ready for the next adventure, and I had all my instruction books laid aside. Here's the funny thing. It would take me hours to build the pirate ship that I got, and I would sit there with the instructions, and I'd think, putting everything together, one thing, and I'd, when I was done, I'd run outside and go, Mom, Dad, look what I made. My parents would be like, wow, that's awesome. You made that? That's incredible. I didn't really make it, though, did I? I followed an instruction manual, and all the parts were had been given to me, and I just followed it. And after I followed it, sometimes I was looking at it going, I don't know what this is going to do. And I'd put it on and be like, whoa, that's cool. And other times I just put it together and suddenly this thing emerges. And I'm like, I built this. Because the maker had already given me the designs and the instructions that if I just followed it brick by brick and obeyed what he told me to do, something incredible was made. Yeah, I built it. I'm a really good rule follower. My parents would be like, wow. And I would sit here and look at it and go, how in the world did these people think this up? You ever thought that? Because when I make something, it doesn't look like this. The beauty is that that's what God is doing with you and with me. 
He gives you the instructions. Love one another as I have loved you. Get out there and love God. Love others. Do this. And you may not understand. Sometimes you feel like you're loving somebody. You're like, I'm going to get in trouble for loving this person. And I know I should be drawing a hard line or something. Other times you're drawing a hard line. You're going, please know that I love you. And I don't like drawing this hard line, but I need to. Or otherwise you're going to destroy yourself. Listen to me. And sometimes we're just loving people. We're doing it right. We're doing it wrong. And we're putting stuff together. And we're going, it doesn't make sense. I don't know what it is. And then in the end, you, one day you step back and you go, oh my gosh. God, this is what you've been building through me? He goes, great job building that. You're like, but you put it together. I just didn't know. And he goes, it doesn't matter. Let's share in this together. Well done, good and faithful servant. Here's your reward. We overthink this stuff too much. God has given us simple instructions to love one another as he has loved us with a self-sacrifice, trusting that in the afterlife, Jesus' resurrection is enough. And we get out there and we share and we love and suddenly great things will begin to happen because God is using you. You may not see what it looks like in the end, but you will in eternity because we were willing to simply love and obey. Love one another. I don't get it. I don't see how this piece works. It doesn't matter. You will. Now, all of us are doing this together. All of us are building this together. It's our job simply to step out and say, God, you said throw it on the right side. I'm going to throw it on the right side. You said love people. I'm going to love people. And I want to just dive in with this thought as we press forward as a church that when we look back, we can see what God is doing, that he brings about the success, but he does it through us because we're willing to walk and listen. But it takes commitment, guys. Here's the thing. Too many of us and some of us are running around in a, in a form of commitment that's not real. We've engaged and we're, we're here. We're raising our hands and worshiping God. And we're excited about what he's doing in our lives. And yet, when God says, I've got something for you, I've got this calling. And some of you know what that calling was. You walked away from it instead. And now you're coming back. This is exactly what happened with Peter. You see, here's what's interesting. God is calling. He wants his people to be fully committed to him. And so this isn't a weird picture with with Peter. Um, It's a very clear picture. Some of you who have read maybe Luke's writings about Jesus have remember this story. You see, it was in a different context. It was the beginning of Peter's life when he first met Jesus. And he's out fishing all night. Can't catch a thing. Jesus shows up preaching a message, says, hey, let's go out in the water. He's like, we've been fishing all night. Who are you to tell me to go out in the water? He's like, come on, just go out there, cast it on the right side. He does it, he pulls in this massive amount of fish. They pull it up on the shore, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, now come, follow me. Leave all that stuff and come follow me. Somewhere in Peter's brain, I believe he's sitting there going, this is really weird. I think this has happened before. Suddenly Jesus shows up. He's like, it's the Lord. He's like, I love him more than you guys. And he jumps in. He's going to prove that he's the number one disciple. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm here first. (laughs) You guys say, rowing back. Hey, Jesus, just me and you. Bro time. Why is this charcoal fire here? Because the last time he saw a charcoal fire, he was warming himself outside of a court scene where Jesus is being accused of being a betrayer of Israel, and yet the betrayer is Peter, sitting there going, I don't know who he is. Little girl, you're scaring me. I don't know him. I swear I don't know him. Sometimes 
We lean on the fact that Jesus has welcomed you back and that's perfect. He has. He showed up for Peter. He showed up twice for Peter. Now he's shown up three times for Peter, resurrected. He hasn't said a word to Peter about his rejection. Peter's just like, I'm in. I'm back. I'm number one again. And I will prove it with my devotion. Yeah. And that's some of us. You walked away from Jesus. You had a fiery, vibrant youth with Christ. And you walked away for a time. You came back because your kids came, wanted to come to church. And you're like, I'm here. Or you came back at some point in your life from a crisis. And you're here. And you're like, Jesus loves me. This I know. Yes, I'm ready to go. Ha, ha, ha. And you're sitting and you're waiting. You're kind of like, I'm good. I'm back. Jesus loves me. I'm good. Afterlife is going to be fun. Can't wait. But let me just tell you, he may be setting you up for something. He was setting Peter up for something. When they had finished breakfast, it says in verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, it's never good when God uses your whole name. (laughs) Do you love me more than these? And I believe he was pointing at the other disciples. Hey, Mr. Big Shot, you're dripping wet. You're shivering cold next to my charcoal fire. You you really love me more than these guys, mister? They may all fall away, but I never will. Huh? You you love me more than these guys? Yeah, Lord. (laughs) You know I love you. All right. And get back to what I told you to do and feed my sheep. Care for the church. Care for this group that I've been training you. Said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yeah, Lord. (laughs) You know I love you. Then tend my sheep. Notice this, verse 17, he goes on, and he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had a thick head and couldn't realize what Jesus was doing this whole time. So he finally realizes it. He said that he said to him a third time, do you love me? I really think Peter has a thick head. He didn't see it. Dives in, I'm here, Jesus. Charcoal fire, thanks for breakfast, Jesus. Got me and you, man. Do you really love me more than these guys? Oh, yeah. You know it. Snap into a Slim Jim. Sorry, that's where it came to. <laughs> Second time is, do you really love me, though? Oh, yeah. Third time, oh. We're not going to talk about that. Yes, we are. Three times a denial. Three times an affirmation. Jesus needed to deal with Peter's lack of commitment. Because when he calls you back and you come back in the fold, it needs to be a serious commitment because he hasn't called us to being distracted to fishing or other things. He's called us to a commitment in which we give our lives away. Do we really love him or is it just an emotional excitement that Jesus has saved us, which he has, but is it an excitement that he saved us without the commitment to follow him? Because then he goes on simply to say, truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to do, carry you to do, uh, carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. He reconstitutes this question. Are you willing to follow me to your death? Because you're going to be crucified, Peter. You're going to die a horrible death. Come, follow me. 
And today, you may be here and God loves you. He has welcomed you. He has not kept his grace from you. He didn't keep it from Peter. He's not keeping it from you. But don't think that there's going to be a moment where you're going to get away with not dealing with the Lord over the things of our past. Yeah, he wants to deal with it. And you know why? Because it's keeping you from the commitment that he wants you to have. See, he told Peter, tend my sheep. He said, come be what I've called you to be. He's looking at you and he's saying, come be what I've called you to be. This morning's a setup. He had you here in a very familiar setting. Some of us walked into church, we're like, oh yeah, I remember what this is like. It's been so long. And yet Jesus is here saying, now come here, come here. Do you really love me? Yeah, well, you know I do. Okay. I know you love me. Are you going to pick up the vision I have for you? Are you going to go back to the calling I had for you? It's time to stop resting. You may be young. You may be old. You may be telling yourself, I'm way too old to grab that vision, that dream again. No, you're not. He's calling you to re-engage. You're not done with your calling until he's called you home. And some of us dropped a dream of being pastors when we were young, of being missionaries, of making a big deal for Christ in whatever business area you're in. Some of you have dropped the dream of being that great father who can lead your children to Christ, or that great mother who can train their kids. And you know what? Jesus is sitting there going, no, let's deal with this now that you're back. Will you pick it up again? Let's stop just showing it all the energy. Let's, let's, let's live to the commitment. Will you come and follow me? And I want to encourage you because he's, this isn't a symbol of rejection. This is him saying, let's just solve this because there is so much more. This is the commitment we need to set if you're going to be the person I know you to be. And church, my friends, if you have come back and he is trying to deal with you today, right now I want to give you that time to do it. There is a great mission field out there, but it takes a very serious commitment. There is a great group of people to reach around us, lovely, awesome people who need to hear about the life that Jesus has given. And it needs brave, self-sacrificing, loving people which means it's a major commitment. I want you guys to work with that right now, that maybe God's calling you back. Maybe he's calling you to remember what you've dropped off. And it's time for you to deal with the Lord and get reconnected with that. And so right now, if you bow your heads, I want to give you a chance to just deal with that. As you talk to your Lord about that, he may be calling you to that recommitment. Secondly, though, you may be here today and you have not been following Jesus. Maybe you did a long time ago. Well, this is your chance to just pick it back up. He's welcoming you. He's present. He didn't come to judge the world. He came to save it. And maybe you find yourself facing your evils, your guilt, your overwhelmed feelings, the fact that you have not any way to deal with it with God. That one day in the judgment, he's going to ask you all the questions about all the things that you did and you are not going to have a good answer for why he shouldn't judge those things. He's here to tell you he doesn't want to judge you. He wants you to trust that Jesus Christ has taken the judgment for you, so be free. Receive it. Maybe that's what you need to begin to do today is to receive that gift that he has for you, a forgiveness 
of, of all of your evil and walk with him. So if that's you, I'll give you a chance to do that right now. Just in your heart, you talk to God and you turn to him and say, God, I know that I've done a, a bunch of evil. Would you please forgive me? Would you put it on Jesus for me? I, I ask that I could receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins so I can be right with you. And would you come in my life and would you lead me, please? It's in Jesus' name I pray. But before anybody's looking around, you may be working through that prayer right now. I want to ask that you just let me know. Just you're popping a hand up. You're saying, that's me. I'm receiving that today because I need to be right with God. It's been a long time. I'm coming back. Or maybe it's the first time and you know that you need to have this made right. God's calling you to that. If that's you right now, just pop your hand up just high enough I can see it. And I just want to pray over you. And I just lift up those who've just been willing to do that and I ask you to bless them. Again, bless them with the knowledge of your word. Bless them as they get to know you with the, with the confidence that in the afterlife everything is going to be at peace with you so that they can live a life of love and give it away. God, help them to love you and love others as you have loved us. And I ask this blessing upon them in the name of Jesus. Amen.